Good morning. How are you? You'll notice some of your friends are gone. This is the annual women's retreat. So, we have a few. Where are my fellow retreat bachelors? Anybody here like that? No, they're home. They decided not to come either because their wife, perhaps, was the main mover. I'm glad you're here. I met a young kid that I care a great deal about on the way in. I wouldn't embarrass him by mentioning his name, but I'm glad you're here, buddy. Met about a dozen new people uh, between the first service at 9 o'clock and now. In fact, I should have been in here much earlier, but just had some really great conversations, and it's good to hear what God is doing in so many of your lives. Some of you are here for the first time. Let me explain to you what it is we're doing. We are following Jesus through a historical account of His life. It's called the Gospel of Luke. Because God exists, because God is real and He wanted to make Himself known, He's acted in history. He created us. He created you. He made everything that you've ever known. You are part of His creation. But. Contrary to what some people believe, God is not a glorified watchmaker who wound the universe up and walked away to watch it wind down. He's actively involved. He's loving. He's faithful. He knows all about you. And depending on how you're doing or how self-aware you are, the fact that God knows you can be both a terrifying and a comforting thing. The good news about God's knowledge is that in knowing you, He loves you, and that's why He acted in history. He acted in history in visible, verifiable, you can hear and see what God is doing, and the the greatest thing God ever did to make Himself known was come to earth in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. There's a bias that Americans have everyone in the world in the 21st century has, but we, we are probably the leaders in this bias because we created so much of the technology that makes the 21st century what it is. The bias that we have is that things that happened in the past aren't relevant anymore. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's old news. That's so 90s careful, man. The 90s weren't that long ago. Okay, they were, but… So, to think about something that happened 2,000 years ago, and that's, that's amazing. Were there even people on earth 2,000 years ago? There was. Jesus came at a specific time in history. I won't take the time to show you why Jesus came when He did. But God's Word, the Bible which we're opening, tells you explicitly that He came at just the right time. And he acted in history, and men and women knew him. They saw him. They actually put their hands on him. They listened to him speak. They saw the things that Jesus did, which were things that only God could do. Both his words and his actions spoke of divinity itself. And because God wanted all of that to be known, it didn't just happen. It was written down within the lifetime of the people who knew Jesus They wrote down accounts of what they had seen and heard, and today we're in one of those accounts. It's called the Gospel of Luke. I know some of you that I met on the way in didn't bring a Bible with you. Let me encourage you to take a moment and find one 
near you. If you want one, if you want to have one at home, please take the Bible you find home with you. And we're in Luke chapter 6. You might need the table of contents to find it. That's okay. If the guy next to you seems like a Bible black belt and he knows where it is, feel free to ask for help. No pressure. I just do want you to find it. And if you're the kind of person who turns their Bible on instead of open it up because you're on an electronic Bible, that's fine. If you want to read the same translation I'm reading, I'm reading the English Standard Version. What we're reading was originally written in Greek, so it had to be translated. It all says the same thing, but depending on translators' choices, it might sound a little different, and you might be helped by reading exactly what I'm reading, English Standard Version. Everybody good? Find it? Still hear pages rustling. That's okay. Takes a second. Everybody there? Everybody that want to be there, there? Some of you are looking at me like, I don't care what else you say, I'm not going there. <laughs> Interesting choice to come and not participate, but hey, I'm just glad you're here under any terms, okay? Father, now we will hear from your son. Help us hear clearly and answer his question in a way that would please you and bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. A few days ago, I was at Barnes & Noble. I used to spend a lot of times at Barnes & Noble, but I do most of my shopping, probably like you do. I do most of my shopping. If I can help it, I try not to go out among the masses, deal with human beings. I do most of my shopping for books on, anybody care to guess? Amazon, of course. Right. So I was an actual bookstore. And it was great. They've added a toy store. Have you noticed? They've got this giant section of toys now, and it's probably indicative of our age that I actually bought a board game and not a book. Uh, that's probably not a good sign. But I did spend about 15 minutes looking at books, and the kind of books I was looking at were self-help books. Have you seen this section? Whatever you want to fix about you. About eight different people have tried to put in print how to help you be more of you or less of you, whatever you're into. That's what they are going to try to do. If you're single and you want to be married, there's books for that. If you're married but want to be single again, there's books for that. <laughs> Maybe not actual murder, hopefully not murder. But certainly every single personal improvement that anybody could make is spelled out in these books. And I was looking at them, and the ones that caught my eye were the ones that have great covers. I had a friend who, who worked in a big, big publishing house, and, and he actually came up with an idea that made the sale of a book go through the roof. And the only difference was the cover. When you pick up a book, when you're looking, as I was, you're scanning all those bookshelves, the first thing you look at is the cover, and if it's interesting, if it looks appealing, you pick that up. What's the second thing you look at once the book's in your hand? The back cover. The back cover is going to tell you in a very few carefully chosen words, and hopefully if the author is anything to look at at all, right, a really well-filtered picture to make them look wise or funny or strong or whatever it is that they're selling, and you have a short time to decide based on the back cover whether it's worth your 15, 20 bucks. If they went to a great university, they'll mention that. 
If they went to school at all, but maybe not a great university, they'll just mention the titles. If they ever sat down with Oprah, they will certainly mention that. Because nobody drives book sales in our culture like Oprah. If Oprah says she was helped, well, by golly, you will be helped too. And you make this momentary decision whether to entrust yourself to this person. You're choosing a teacher for yourself. See, that's the fascinating thing about our age. There are all kinds of people offering you guidance and help through whatever it is that interests you or afflicts you in life. When we come to Luke chapter 6, that is actually exactly what Jesus is talking about. Look with me in Luke chapter 6. He started teaching in verse 17. And he told them what the good life was, what sort of life God blessed. Most importantly, what kind of life Jesus could give people. So he said things like this in verse 27, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Verse 36, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Judge not and you will not be judged, condemn not, you will not be condemned, forgive and you will be forgiven, give and it will be given to you. That's the sort of life that Jesus was living. If you look back at the things he was telling people to do, you'll notice immediately he does them himself. This is how Jesus actually lives. This is the kind of person he is. And then he says something, which is where we'll start today's message, that is one of the most profound, important things. It may be more important in the 21st century than it ever has been. And I hadn't noticed it in all the times I'd read the Gospel of Luke. Look at verse 39. He also told them a parable. Now, a parable is a word picture. It's a story. Sometimes they're long and sometimes they're a single image like this. And he asks a couple of pretty obvious questions. Can a blind man lead a blind man? What do you think? If a blind man is trying to move through hazardous territory, would it be a good idea, given other choices, for him to entrust himself to another blind guy? Not if there's other choices. That would be a matter of last resort. You would do that because no one with sight was available to help. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Well, yeah, that's what you would expect. If two blind men are trying to help each other, one is trusting the other through hazardous territory, it would be sad but not surprising if they both ended up in a ditch. Here's what I'd missed. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. You go, hmm, that doesn't seem very earth-shattering but it is. Here's what Jesus is telling you. Choose your teacher carefully because you will be just like him or her. If you entrust yourself to teaching, to guidance, to someone else, you probably won't surpass them. Sometimes that happens, but it's not expected. No university professor invites the class in and then picks somebody at random to teach the class. That would offend the other students. That would terrify the kid who got chosen. 
Everybody's there to hear because someone has put in the time, has the experience, has the knowledge, has the success to guide the others. And Jesus says, as I'm telling you what the good life is, the kind of man I am and the kind of person you can be, be careful. There's a lot of blind guides offering you help, but if you choose a blind guide through life, you'll both end up in a ditch. And in this age, the reason I say this is so relevant in the 21st century is through the magic of the internet, you have more teachers, more influencers, more thought leaders available than anyone ever has in human history. Let's think a little bit about modern life in 21st century America. For some of you, this century is the only one you've ever known. You've had 17 years on this one, and this is it. Let me tell you, you live in a world that did not exist just a few years ago. But now, you have more technology in your pocket if you have a smartphone than the Apollo astronauts took to the moon. That's true by far. It's not even close. And because of that, and Instagram, and Twitter, and Tumblr, and any other number of social media platforms and blogs, you can open your life up to all kinds of teaching and influence. So let me ask you, who are the thought leaders in 21st century America? Who's influencing us? Who's shaping our values and our attitudes? Oh, my goodness. We had three services this weekend. Someone said Kardashians in two of the three services. And everybody laughed. In the Saturday service, I was so surprised that I, had, I wasn't expecting that answer. You're right, by the way. We actually took the time, don't do it, but we actually took the time to find out how many followers Kimmy K has on Instagram. Don't look, I'll tell you. Kim Kardashian, Kim Kardashian West, has 103 million followers on Instagram. 103 million. Listen, I know that's a global following because she is a global icon, but that's roughly one-third of the population of the United States. And think about this. What that means is 103 million people have chosen to look at pictures of the life of a stranger. Why is that? I've thought a little bit about it. I'm not sure, but let me tell you what I think. I think because she and her sisters, Kylie's an even bigger deal probably than Kim is right now, she and her sisters portray through their social media accounts the kind of life we all secretly want. Good for you. <laughs> hear me out. Listen, hear me out. What is portrayed in everything the Kardashians do? Three things. Beauty, wealth, listen, beauty, wealth, and leisure. Let me ask you, okay? Stop judging Kim for a second, okay? <laughs> We get it. You're too sophisticated. We get it. We, we're, we're, we believe you. We're proud of you. Good for you. Okay? I don't follow her either. Beauty, wealth, leisure. Isn't that a little bit what you want? 
Isn't beauty interest you a little bit? I mean, we all took a little care getting here this morning, right? I chose this shirt. There are better. It's wrinkled, but it was chosen for a reason. Wealth. Would anybody like a little more money? What if I told you this? Since the women are gone and the attendances be lower, the board decided to give everybody that came to the 1030 service 10 grand out of the church treasure. Would you be interested in that? I'm hearing no loud protest against that one. That sounds like a much better idea. And leisure, that's, in some ways, that's what we're all working toward. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to get back to work tomorrow, but I'm also looking forward to getting away, turning the phone off. And something as subtle and as seemingly innocuous as an Instagram account, she's not the only influencer, but she's one of them. And you can either understand that and say, this speaks to our values, this speaks to our current condition, maybe not mine, but this is our world, and this is the world that Jesus came to. Jesus is painting a portrait of an entirely different life. It's very, very different from the kinds of life that are built on beauty and wealth and leisure that the 21st century offers us. Those are all three desirable things. What Jesus would tell you is... In your love of beauty and your love of wealth and your love of leisure, if any one of those three things get ahead of God, you'll be disappointed with the disaster that follows. Let's listen to Jesus. Luke chapter 6, verse 39, he also told them a parable, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. In other words, choose your teacher carefully because you will be like him or her. If you take as your models, as your choices, people who portray beauty, wealth, and money, if that's what you live for, that may be what you get, but you have to ask yourself eventually the question, is that enough? And at the end of my life, was that a good choice? Jesus actually knows. And if Jesus were here, I'm confident of this. He would speak to Kim Kardashian with love and grace and compassion and understanding that would absolutely blow you away. He is capable of anger and sometimes shows it, but he deals with every person, even when he's angry, in love, in faithfulness, seeking their good. He would not be, as I often am, someone who stands on the sidelines and take pot shots. And what he's doing now in the next 15 or 20 minutes, I want to explain to you what Jesus is saying about his disciples because he's going to tell us what sort of people are the ones who are actually following him. So if you claim to be a disciple, here's what that looks like. If you're interested in Jesus and maybe in church for the first time in a long time, or you're maybe a non-religious person who's just not sure about any of this, this is the sort of life that Jesus died to give his disciples and the kinds of people, since he's alive and active in our lives, the kind of people he's trying to make us into. First, he tells this amazing story. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. It's kind of a funny word picture, isn't it? 
Guy's got a log jutting out of his right eye. And he's kind of, because it's a log, right? And he looks like a Navy SEAL on the grinder with the log, except the log's not on his shoulder, it's in his eye, and he's supporting it. And he says to this other guy, could you, could you rest this on your shoulder? You got something in your eye. Let me help you. That'd be crazy. I mean, we'd be calling 911 for the guy with the two-by-four jutting out of his eye, right? And Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Verse 42, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your own eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. Ouch. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. The more I hear Jesus and read other things, the more I realize that things that human beings have found to be true in other areas are actually truth that Jesus knew all along. What he's talking about here is what psychologists call projection. Now, you may not remember or never have taken Psychology 101, but I guarantee you, you live in it. If you're married, if you have kids, if you have close friends, here's how projection works. The things that drive me crazy about me are the things I yell the most about in my son's lives. Because I don't want them to be like me. This thing, this habit, this trait of mine has driven me crazy. I can't quite get rid of it. So when I see it in them, I'm... And they would say to me, they're very kind, respectful boys, but they would go, hey, Dad, you got something pretty big in your eye, okay? We are who you made us after all. That's what Jesus is dealing about here. What's his point? That real disciples of Jesus help others from a position of personal integrity. Disciples of Jesus are not perfect men and women, but they are those who have come and entrusted themselves to Jesus so that He can clean their lives up. And they don't offer help as self-appointed experts. They strive to be humble and never be hypocritical so that they say to others what's wrong with them while cancer festers in their own life. And this is so important. Let's talk a little bit more about the culture. See, on Thursday, the, a lot of the staff and, and I went to a, river, to a conference in Riverside to hear a very bright pastor, very, very sharp thinker named James Emery White. You want to follow somebody on Twitter, or read his blog, I'd recommend it to you. He has a wonderful little blog called Church and Culture. He's done some work at Oxford in history, so he's a researcher. And he's described what is the largest religious group in America. It's growing the fastest. It's not yet the largest, but it is the fastest growing is what I'm trying to say. It's especially fast growing among people, Americans under 30. Maybe you're one of them and you just happen to be here. If so, we're delighted you're here. We're especially happy you're here. Because this group is what James Emery White and others have called the nuns. Not like Catholic nuns. No, these are the people who, when asked what their religious affiliation is, they say, none. I don't have any. That's a new thing in America. For most of our history, almost everybody who was asked, what religious group are you with, they would say, can you guess? I'm a, in history they would say, I'm a Christian. They might go to church very often. They may not know much about Jesus, but at least in a demographic sense, they would say, I'm a Christian. I'm not a Muslim. I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not an atheist. I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe I'm a Christian. 
That group, the nuns, in other words, people with no affiliation and no particular interest, they're growing. How do you reach, if Jesus has actually acted in history, if He is actually who He claimed to be, and not only someone who speaks truth, but He actually is the truth, who can prove it with astonishing miracles, that the only way to explain them is that God is at work in the life of Jesus, how in the world would we ever talk to people like that if they're not coming? Because they're about as interested as coming here this morning, most of them as I am in going to a tile-laying workshop at Home Depot. I'm not opposed to it. I just have no interest in it. I want somebody else to do that. It's not, it's not for me. And that's largely a growing attitude. Good for you. Happy you enjoy it. Hope you get a lot out of it. I'm not into it. How do we talk to people like that? If Jesus is who He claims to be, we have to tell them We have to share with them who He is. How do you do it? Like this, church, the greatest gift you can give other people is to be like Jesus yourself. That's the rub right now. We've talked about culture and thought leaders. Let's talk about us. Fair or not, I'm not asking whether it's fair. I'm not asking whether it's accurate. How are we perceived as a Christian group in the United States? How do we come across? Judgmental, Judgmental, angry, hyper-political. You can say, well, we should be, we can be, whatever. I'm just telling you that the way we are currently perceived, not attractive. The gift that we can give others is Jesus Himself. But here's the rub, here's the conflict, here's the disconnect. If I gather with my spiritual family, which you are, and I love you dearly, and together you and I sing to Jesus and then go out in the world and act nothing like Jesus, a watching world is say, you guys are sorry, here. I think we call that, I think Jesus himself called that person a hypocrite. People who are following Jesus help others from a position of personal integrity by becoming the kind of person he is. But Jesus kept teaching. Look in verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. There's something very obvious. He's the greatest communicator that ever lived. Check this out. How clear, how simple this is. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. What's he talking about? Verse 45 tells you. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Jesus is starting again with the world of something very familiar from his listeners. They would have known exactly what figs, grapes, and thorns looked like. And what Jesus is saying is your life produces who you are. You can hide it and fake it for a while, but eventually you won't be able to contain yourself and you will start talking. And the things that come out of your mouth were dragged out of the treasure, in other words, the stock room, the storehouse of your heart, the kind of person you really are. And if you're truly a good person, what will come forth from you are good things. And you will have the kind of character that nourishes other people, that blesses them, not that 
hurts them and is useless to them. You ever catch yourself saying something awful and ask yourself, where'd that come from? Jesus tells you, it came from you. That's, that's actually you. It may be you at your worst, but that's actually what's in the storeroom. This is why so many of the books, not all of them, I saw four or five books at Barnes & Noble. This is probably why Barnes & Noble is dying. I'm sorry, I didn't help. Um, I took pictures of books to check out later. I didn't actually buy any books. But I did buy a board game, so I guess I did my part a little bit. Many of those books are like this. It's like taking fruit and taping it to a thorn bush and inviting people to enjoy the vineyard. It's madness. See, what Jesus is interested in is not what most of the self-help books can deliver, which is only a superficial change. No, Jesus isn't about putting good fruit on a bad tree, tying it to its branches, and pretending that a good thing is happening. No, what He wants to do is change the life from the inside out. And one of the most extraordinary, encouraging things that I've seen is for some of you, I won't name names because we've all got our stuff, some of you who came to Jesus and also at a certain point came to this church, and when you arrived, you would be the first to tell the world your life was a mess. And what your life was producing, what was coming out of your mouth, what your life was creating was nothing to be proud of. You wanted to change. That's why you came to Him. That's why you came here in the first place. And to have the pleasure as your pastor, and to some of you at least a personal friend over the last several years, to see the change that He has made and how astonishingly different you are, that's what Jesus does. No amount of self-improvement alone can do that. Jesus is always aiming deeper. He is trying to produce loving, gracious, generous, and merciful people. The things he wrote, he said earlier, like love your enemies. If people curse you, you speak to them in return with blessing. When people deserve your judgment, instead you give them mercy. You reserve judgment and condemnation. You leave that up to the judge and you stand beside them in love. That's the kind of character that will nourish other people and it's the only hope that our church has. And this will happen. We will feel the effects of this in just the next few years. Because things are changing so quickly in America, the nuns, the complete lack of interest in anything that Scripture says is growing so rapidly that if we do not become the kind of people who Jesus was, we won't be heard, much less have an effect. Listen to the last thing Jesus says, because like all great communicators, He finishes strong. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? That's the question that made me sit up straight. Because that's for me. If I'm listening to Jesus, if I'm taking Him seriously, I have to envision this is a real person who would say to me, Bruce, why do you call me Lord, Lord? In other words, why do you keep calling me your boss and then go out and do your own thing? Let's just bring that over into the employment world. If you had a boss who day by day told you what to do, and you said, yes, ma'am, right away, I'm on it, and then you always went out and did your own thing, how long would you expect to keep that job? If there's a patient 
person. They might have a few meetings and they'd have the famous things are going to change or things are going to change talk. But you wouldn't expect to be there forever. Jesus is offering himself as a teacher, as a guide, as the one who can lead you through the ditches and on to eternal life. But there's a problem with the people who listen to him. We are prone to call him boss and not do what he tells us. Another word picture. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, that's the deciding factor. I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears, now check this, because now he may be talking to you. Maybe you're checking him out. You're considering his claims. He's now going to talk to a different person in the crowd. Because everybody's listening to Jesus. It's astonishing. Even as the nuns grow, interest in Jesus continues to grow along with it. People want to know about Jesus. Mark my words. Come around Easter, PBS, Newsweek, all the usual media outlets will do all kinds of stories on Jesus. They'll say about 25 different things of about him. Not all of them could possibly be true, but they will be talking about him because he matters. He's that important. And Jesus says there are people who hear and do not. There is one who hears and does not do the things I say. Verse 49, he is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. Now, if any of you know anything about construction, that would be very easy to do. One reason we still have a fence and not a construction is because very well, very well-trained professionals disagree about how to get started with the foundation and the slab itself. And we're going to take whatever time it takes for them to make a good decision so we don't have to rebuild in 10 years. Because this town, I don't know if you've noticed, we've torn a lot of buildings down because the foundation wasn't solid, the ground wasn't good, it was sandy and soft. We have to be careful. It's easy to build without a foundation. You can just start putting the bricks out. And you can have a house a lot quicker, but that's not a good idea because it says when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. What's Jesus' point? This. The people who are actually following Jesus build their lives on His teaching by, here's the money part, And here's the hard part, by actually doing what he says. See, some of these things that I've read in Luke Luke chapter 6, love your enemies, man, that is a great cross stitch. That would look good on your grandma's wall as a needle point. That's much harder to live. Because you're going to go back to work or go back to school tomorrow and you'll be treated with the usual sarcasm and contempt by some people. To return to those people love, to give them grace, to extend to them mercy. That's so radical and so countercultural that nobody does that. Who does that, Jesus? What difference would it make if people who name and claim him actually started behaving like him? It would shock the world, it would draw attention, but building on the hard teaching of Jesus by actually doing what he says, hardest thing in the world. 
Because you have to give up on yourself and you have to say to the one you've chosen as a teacher this radical thing. You know better than I do. And I'll do what you say. And I'll do it your way. And Jesus says, a storm is coming to all of those houses. See, he's picturing something that I can tell you both from personal experience and primarily, thankfully to this point, more per experience as a pastor than as in a person. Life's hard. On an average week, I get told about five tragedies. Some awful, some that actually make it hard for me to sleep when I think about what those people are going through. Others much more ordinary and common to all families. But life's hard. See, Jesus knows something that we're really good at denying. You're building in the face of a storm. Suffering comes to every life. No matter how good the life looks on social media, people are generally only showing you the highlight reel. Everybody's hurting. Everybody's struggling. Everybody's afraid. Very few people feel sufficient to the task. Everybody hurts and, here's the sad, really tough, easy to deny part, every single person eventually dies. So that the beauty, the wealth, the health, the strength, the wisdom, the success of today will be the quaint memory of tomorrow. Jesus knows that storm is coming and what he is telling you in plain language is, if you will trust me, you'll be safe through the storm. All of us are building in the face of the storm and only Jesus can keep us safe. And this is the invitation to what Jesus knew actually is the good life. It's a life that He can give you now when you trust Him. And it is a life that He will develop in you from the inside out, one step, one time in Scripture, one prayer, one conversation, one act of love at a time, so that in six months or a year or two, I mean, I'm looking at some of you, and I wouldn't embarrass you for the world, but I could have some of you step right up here and tell people the difference that Jesus has made, and if you didn't know their story, you wouldn't believe it. Because you only met the person that Jesus made, not the sin, not the mess, not the struggle, not the addiction, not the hurt, not the pain that life on our own had made. So there's two kinds of people in this room, people who will listen to Jesus and those who will keep listening to themselves. My sincere invitation to you right now if you're ready to entrust yourself to Jesus with the little you know about him, that you would do so right now and say, Jesus, I don't get all of it. I didn't even understand all of that sermon, but I believe you died for my sins and came back to life so that I could have eternal life. Save me. I'm self-identifying as a blind man. I can't get home on my own. Guide me. I know the storm is coming. Be my foundation. Keep me safe. Change me from the inside out. Give me a life that nourishes and bless others. Some of you are this close, and you need now to listen to Jesus and humbly make that decision. Others of you already have. The vast majority of you probably have already heard and trusted Jesus. Let me ask you, and this question is for me as well, are you calling Him Lord, Lord, and doing what He says to that's what a real disciple does because a disciple is the one who is becoming who Jesus is. If you'll follow Jesus, he'll teach you everything you need to know. But you have to give up on you and start trusting him. Let's pray.
Could I talk to those two groups for just a second, give you a moment to decide? Friend, maybe you're here for the first time, or maybe you've been coming for years and it's never been real and serious and personal to you. But you're ready to trust Jesus this morning. If so, I invite you right now in the name of Jesus to call out to Him in prayer and say, Jesus, I understand this much. I'm a sinner. I've blown it. I'm far from you. I feel the distance. I believe also that I cannot save myself. Please save me. I'm so sorry for the wrong I've done. I'm asking you humbly to save me. Trade lives with me. Make your death give me life. Let your resurrection be my life. Those aren't magic phrases. That's just one simple way of expressing people throughout history have said to Jesus in a lot of different ways that they trust Him. Some haven't said much at all. They've just internally given up on themselves and started trusting Him, put Him in charge of their lives. In other words, made Him Lord, made Him boss. You don't even know what that means yet. Frankly, I don't know all that that means. But if you'll do that, Jesus actually will save you. That's who He is. That's what He does. That's at the heart of His character, to love people who are lost without Him and to save them. If you do that, the only thing I would ask is if you've prayed, if you've called out to Jesus this morning, please take a moment longer, find the card in the bulletin, and let us know. Put it in the offering basket when it goes by a little bit later or in one of the boxes at the exit. The much bigger crowd I know here are people who are already following Jesus. Christian, is there an area of your life where you keep saying, Lord, Lord, and you don't do what Jesus says? Is it your mercy? Is it your giving? Is it your loving? Is it your steadfast refusal to not act as a judge? To act as a merciful, loving person instead and reserve condemnation, leave condemnation in the hands of God Almighty, who is the eternal judge? I don't know how Jesus may deal with you. There's a lot there. I know how He stung me. I know how He took me aside over these last two weeks and said, hey, here's where you talk, Bruce, and preach way better than you live. Start doing what I say. If you have areas in your life that He's revealed this morning or you already know about, you dragged in here with you, could you talk to Him about them right now? Lord, we love You. I pray right now that You would give grace to those who need to be saved and need to trust You. Give them the grace to do it right now. And I also ask, God, that they would let us know so that we could celebrate with them, pray for them, do what we can to encourage them. We as your disciples are in great need of you, and we need day, day by day to become more like you. Give us the grace, give us the faith, the steadfast obedience to do that. And Lord Jesus, receive this offering. You taught us to give. You taught us to be generous. You said radical things like sell what you have and give. You taught us to be merciful and loving. This act of giving is just one simple part of it. Receive this in Jesus' name so that you would be glorified and disciples would be made. Amen.